The Libyan conflict was for me the, the strongest experience. I mean, I was reporting from the rebel side and here I saw history in the making. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO. My name is Oliver Aust. I'm the CEO and founder of EOPSI Communication, the best-selling author. And my guest today is Piotr Pilat. Piotr and I have become good friends over the last few months, and he's a very interesting character. There's actually much more to him than meets the eye. And the reason why we're talking today is actually uh, an announcement which we have to make, and we come to that a little bit later. But first of all, I'd like to welcome Piotr. Hey, Piotr. Hey, Oliver. It's really great to be here. Now, your background is in media journalism. You're actually a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. What was it all about? You know, it was for conflict reporting. Uh, we uh, were covering the Libyan conflict for uh, Reuters, for my previous employer. And, uh, you know, we as an agency, as a team on the ground, we were able to, to really go where no one else uh, managed to go. And, and this, is, this, this brings me to another point that I want to, to later uh, talk about. It's about being in the right place at the right time. So what we did is when all of the journalists were leaving Libya because there was a big counteroffensive by Gaddafi troops, you know, the rebels were in a very tight spot at some point. That, that was a very short span of time between the Western powers deciding if they're going to intervene militarily and the start of the counteroffensive. And nobody knew how it's going to turn. On their own, the rebels had no chance uh, of standing their ground against, you know, against a, a proper army. So when everybody left, we decided to really um, slim down our staff. We left just the crucial people on the ground and, and we stayed and we took a gamble. Uh, there was one night when we didn't know if the, the city that we were hunkered down in, uh, the Benghazi, the, which was the, you know, the, the, the capital of the, of the rebels, if it's going to fall to government's forces who were right on the doorstep or not. And, and that night, the bombing campaign by NATO started and they, they wiped out a lot of the, 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 the you know, the um, advancing Gaddafi forces. And we woke up to an entirely different reality. And, and we were probably 10 hours, 12 hours away ahead of our competition reporting from that aftermath of, of this bombing campaign, because everybody else was in Egypt, which was like a six or eight hour drive away from where we were. So I, I, I guess that was a, a very high point in my career. I mean, I, I was the one who decided to stay behind for the television side because I, I was a producer, but my camera person was not experienced in, in conflict reporting. And it was just much made more sense for him to just go to Egypt and wait it out. And, and I took the camera and, you know, the images I produced then were shown everywhere because they were the only ones. So, so yeah, that was an amazing experience in my career and uh, it really gave it a new meaning, but also that, you know, it brings us to the point of being at the right place at the right time. You know, I always said, it's not difficult. It's super easy to be in the right place at the right time and catch that, you know, that exclusive bit of news. It's much uh, more difficult to dig and to get to your information in, in another way. If, if you're in a place where you know there's obviously breaking news going to happen, or if you're there by coincidence, either way, you know, you don't put a lot of effort into it. Of course, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the effort that people put in to report from conflict areas. I know my, myself very well how difficult it is. I'm just saying that the journalism that is often overlooked is the tedious 
journalism that requires digging through documents or, or getting down to the truth, even if everybody tells you differently, even if it's not obvious, even if something completely contrary is the obvious thing. And you as a journalist choose, you have a hunch, you have a conviction, and you choose to, to pursue that. And you choose to, uh, you know, to find that news and to prove everybody wrong. I have a huge respect for that kind of journalism. I mean, you've not just been in Libya, you've been in Iraq, you've been in Afghanistan, you've seen a lot of things. Um, what have you learned from reporting from these dangerous places about, you know, our lives, our communication, how we do it here in day-to-day business? Well, well, a lot of humility and a lot of respect for information. After returning from places like that, I would, um, you know, if I saw somebody treating information inappropriately, so not checking their sources, putting something out there that's not, you know, that they didn't proofread or they didn't fact check. I mean, sloppy journalism really aggravated me because I saw the value of information. You know, I saw the price that people pay to get information. You know, my fellow journalists, they, they risk their lives, you know, and their health for information. And when I saw that being uh, disrespected, <laughs> I couldn't keep, uh, keep myself. So a lot of respect for the spoken word, for the information that we put out there. Yeah. What was the most critical situation you, you were in as a reporter in conflict areas? Well, there were a couple. Uh, I think the most critical situations that I've been in, I'm not aware of. You know, the, the highest danger that I was in, I'm probably not aware of that because it probably missed me and I didn't even see it. You know, if, 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 you, if, you, if you don't step on a landmine, you don't know that you didn't step on a landmine. So I would say that the Libyan conflict was for me the, 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 the strongest experience. I mean, I was reporting from the rebel side and, and here I saw history in the making and especially that, that moment when we, we decided to stay behind and report from a place that everybody left. I, I think that was the most critical for me, you know, in my career and as a journalist and actually as a, as a, as a, as a person as well. I mean, you're so humble because, you know, over B, you tell me the stories of how the bullets are flying, how dangerous it is. So I think that's, that's just to your credit. But let, let's talk about communication and the related things that, that we tend to talk about on this podcast. Um, these days you do something uh, different. You help uh, executives and, and people and, and organizations to appear, um, you know, to, to step up their game in front of the camera. So what are, what are your top tips for people who are in front of a camera and who may feel, um, you know, this is a slightly unnatural situation for them, which it is? Well, first of all, I, um, I try to show empathy. I'm very, very passionate about the visual language. And the visual language is all based on our, you know, subconscious. And that, that takes us into the realms of psychology, you know, and even biology, even the way that the body reacts. So I'm very understanding of the fact that being in front of the camera is a very unnatural position for everybody, you know. I try to start with that, to admit to somebody, yes, you have the full right to feel uncomfortable. And then I try to teach them how to mitigate that, how to, you know, how to relax. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very huge fan of, of people coming in, in front of a camera. Uh, well, relaxed is probably not a good word. It's, it's, it's the easiest term to use, but I want them to be completely shut down and focused 
on the message that they want to, to tell. So I don't want them thinking if they're sitting comfortably or not. I don't want them thinking if their muscles are, you know, uh, are strained because these muscles get strained when you're in front of the camera, they get, you know, they get tense. So I don't want them uh, having these distractions. I want them to be able to completely focus on, on the message. Um, how, how do you do that? Because telling someone to relax is usually not working. You need a slightly different approach. So how, how do you get someone to relax without telling them to relax? Well, I joke. You know, I mean, humor is a great way. I, I try to make them feel relaxed in my presence. So I, I, I've had somebody tell me that the minute they saw me smiling in the studio, they immediately thought this is going to be fine. You know, I'm going to be fine. It's creating an atmosphere where the person feels that, uh, that they're in good hands. So if it were an interview, you know, uh, when, when I was conducting interviews with people and I've conducted interviews with uh, the Dalai Lama and Richard Branson, I tried to uh, have them trust me. So that, that's, I think that is, that is a huge element, generating this trust towards that other person. If, even if I'm not interviewing them, I'm just there in the studio with them and they're delivering their own message, then I think it's important that there is a human being, somebody else who knows about the whole process and who they can trust. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I totally agree. Because for most people, it's not that the ego is too big in front of the camera, but that they are insecure. That's what you need to overcome. But, you know, I can't help asking the Dalai Lama and Richard Branson. So what, 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 what kind of feedback did, did you give them in order to relax in front of the camera or to get the best interview possible? Well, I don't know. Branson was so easy because he, he's just a natural. He, he doesn't need any, any advice. The Dalai Lama was amazing. I have to tell you that he relaxed me, you know? So both of these, both of these situations, I wouldn't imagine yeah. what I would say. I'd probably come up with something, but no, both of these experiences were humbling for me, you know, actually. I had the Dalai Lama was, was super funny because we had, you know, his spokesperson told me uh, that there will be three camera crews filming at the same time, and we were one of them. And I thought to myself, it's impossible. And the, the, the reporters were supposed to be changing, just swapping places. And there would be three cameras and, and everybody was expected to record their own bit of interview. So for me, it, it felt unimaginable that a reporter sitting in front of the Dalai Lama will want to, you know, will keep track of their time slot and will give away the time. I thought it was going to be a big fight. That, 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 that three reporters will be fighting over who sits on that chair. And then when, when, you know, when we arrived and uh, we started cooperating and we started, you know, somebody gave somebody else a, a microphone because there was that or something, you know, somebody set up the lights for everybody. Uh, then the correspondents came in and they started asking the questions in a very civilized manner and, and exactly sticking to their time slots. I couldn't believe it really how well it went. So is both of these experiences were, were humbling and you have to be prepared that anybody can really come in front of the camera and, and be tense, you know, even people who have experience, you know, I mean, I get tense in front of the camera, even though I've done, I've been on the other side many times. So that's all understandable. So you have to treat everybody just like, you know, just another human being, I think, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. So let, let, let's go back to the people you train. So uh, apart from them, maybe not being relaxed and you need empathy and you need mm -hmm. to build trust. What are, what are some of the other tips you give them? I explained to them the whole process. So I, I tried to like uh, demystify the studio. 
the camera uh, has a different way of seeing us. You know, it's a two-dimensional way. So it takes away a lot. It takes away energy. It takes away the, the, the light, you know, the, 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 the amount of light that reaches the camera is not the same as, as the amount of light that reaches the bare human eye. So it's all of that. I try to explain that in a very simple way. I try to make them see that they're in an actually normal environment. That everything surrounding them is, is what we need, you know, for, for this to work and how it actually benefits them, how it benefits the way they, they come out in the end. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love uh, what you said about the camera taking the energy away. I always tell people at train that you need to bring more energy. Usually uh, camera microphones, the stage, you just need to bring more energy. And then again, it feels unnatural, but we need that unnatural energy. So it feels natural on the other side. If you just have a normal conversational tone, it feels really bloodless and it's not what you want. And I think a great way to get people to realize that is record them and show to them. They're like, oh, you know, that's me. That's really, there's no energy here. There's no spark. Okay, great. Give me more, right? How do you get people to give, give them your best? So give, give themselves their best, I should say, right? It's, it's, it's for them. Yeah, that's perfectly true. I, I think showing the, the picture, replaying the clip is great for training. And then, you know, walking over every step and the body language and so on, that provides really fast progress. I've seen enormous progress in people who were introverts. And once they were shown and analyzed in a very open and objective way, then they, they, became, they became better with every, every take. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about understanding the whole process. And, and for me, this also means that, you know, you, you're clear about the first question if it's a media interview. And, and I always tell people, you know, ask what the first question is, then ask what the second question is. Because if you manage to get off to a good start, usually you, you, you forget about the rest and you're, you know, in a flow situation and you just deliver the interview. If you are surprised by the first question and you have to sort of gasp for air and you know, have to think for five seconds before you can say anything, then you're already on the defensive. And, and that's that's not something you want. Yeah. How do you take control of a situation like that? Because that's that's another issue I see all, um, you know, most, most occasions that um, people are answer people, not spokespeople, or that they wait for something to happen rather than take control of the situation. Well, th then I try to, to format my questions accordingly, you know, or I, you know, if, if we're talking about somebody getting tense during an interview, then I put in a question, a very neutral question that would relax them. So when I was conducting interviews, I always tried to have the first question to be a typical setup question, you know, something that they will be happy to answer. Yeah, that will get them in a, in a, in a good mood, good energy, easy question. And then let's say in the middle interview of the interview, we would start to go into the specifics when they're warmed up and when they're already used to the camera filming them and the light and, and so on. Yeah, and that's that's a great technique. You can use it actually when, when we train people or work with people, or even if it's a media situation, we're just recording video content. Often it helps, it, it helps if we ask them a question, which they answer, rather than telling them, you go, speak now, that what should I say? You know, trigger questions, leading questions are you know, a fantastic tool. Yeah. One thing to remember in situations like that, if you're asking somebody a question and they're being filmed, you really have to make sure that they're not tempted to look at you. One thing that I found when it comes to the subconscious is we always look for faces and for eyes. So what I do in these situations, if, if, if questions are necessary and, and we are delivering something uh, straight to a camera, I try to put the person asking the question somewhere on the side, like nowhere near 
the line of sight of the person answering it because they might be tempted to search for that face, for those eyes, for that person asking the question. It's it's human nature. So you know, if you put that person away, out of sight, you know, then uh, then you have guaranteed success that the, the answer will go straight into the camera. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Now, there's a particular reason why you and I talk today, and I think it's time for a little announcement, because uh, you and I were getting along so well, and we have this mutual interest in, in uh, video production, media production communications in front of the camera, behind the camera, the whole thing. And you're obviously the absolute wizard with all the tech. So uh, I know a lot about, you know, having done over a thousand media interviews myself and coaching people for many years, and including a lot of CEOs. Um, I, I know quite well how to behave in front of the camera and to get that point across, but I know very little about the camera itself and what's what's happening in the post-production process. So you and I teamed up together with our mutual friend, Konstantin Slipovsky, who is, uh, was also on the podcast a few weeks ago and has been before, an absolute uh, you know business influencer in his own field, which is recruitment and, and a great guy. And the three of us set up uh, a studio in central Berlin. So that's, that's, that's Havis. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's a vision to bring video production to every company, to every startup out there. People can't afford to produce, you know, I mean, the, the basic budget for a advertising clip is, is 40,000 euros, I think, you know, that's like a very basic budget for an advertisement. You know, people can't afford that and they, they want to produce their own content. They want to reach out to their clients directly. And it's super easy if you have a studio, if you have a facility to do it, you know, setting everything up, you have to be interested in it. You have to know how, you know, which camera to buy. You have to spend hours reading online, you know, how everything works. What's the best microphone? What's the best light, et cetera, et cetera. What do you need to actually produce that content? And then it costs you money. A basic setup of a home studio is, is a few thousand euros as well. And do you have the space for a home studio, you know, in your, in your firm? If you're a small startup and you're renting in a co-working uh, area, then, then, then no, then you don't have that space. You don't have that luxury. Uh, and if you're a big company, do you really want to spend money on, on space that's being used once or twice or just a few month, times a month? So anyway, I think we were, we were ticking all the boxes. We're giving people, you know, we're giving people a space that they can rent, they can walk into, they can record. And what we're doing as well is we're giving them expert advice. We're, we're telling them what will work, what, what, what won't. You know, ideally, we will not allow anybody to leave our studio without a good take. I think that's that's our objective, right? And that's what we are so passionate about. And I think it's fair to say the three of us, we are scratching our own itch because um, you can either do it, you know, just takes forever to set up the equipment. The lighting is never right. You don't have the green screen ready, which you need to iron. You don't have uh, the perfect microphone. So we sorted out all these things with your, you know, great technical expertise. Um, a very quiet room, soundproof room, and uh, you can just walk in and record. And for us, it's the sweet spot between uh, doing it yourself, which is relatively cheap, uh, once you've bought the equipment, which costs thousands, as you said, um, but it's a lot of hassle, a lot of time to figure it all out. Uh, it needs space, it needs a quiet space and so on. So it's, it's very difficult to pull off on your own. And on the other end, you have professional studios, which are great, but usually very expensive and really over-engineered for your pitch presentation, for your sales email, for your weekly LinkedIn video, whatever social media channel you're using. I mean, let's face it, it's very hard to grow a company today without really good video content because it's been the, the primary way to communicate 
given that face-to-face um, -face is more difficult, more expensive if we travel. Um, and we all found find different ways to, to communicate now. And video is certainly one of these things that is uh, hugely successful already and will be more important in the future. One of the greatest challenges for me after I left uh, journalism was, and I started working with different companies from the gaming sector. I was, I was training uh, people as well. I noticed that it takes a lot to convince somebody that they should produce good quality video. People nowadays think that just because you have a camera in your phone and you can record a 4K signal, it means that your videos will be great. Well, uh, not necessarily. The gear doesn't make you an expert, okay? So you, you need good, good quality gear, but you also need to know what you're doing. So that's where our expert advice comes in. But it's, it really took me a while to convince people that there is a big value in making good quality video. As somebody who, who's not an expert in video will probably not be able to notice many mistakes that are made in a frame, okay? But what happens is their subconsciousness sees it. And what we do as experts is we know we're aware of that, you know? So, so we, we can tell what the subconscious will see in a picture, right. yeah. you know, yeah. beforehand while setting it up. And in the messaging as well, because that's what we saw. That, you know, what we've already worked with quite a few people, and often the messaging is just off. It doesn't resonate, or it's too much about it's self-referential rather than about the people who are listening. And, and all of these mistakes, what happens is that these videos will be put out, but they're not having the desired effect. So if you want to, um, you know, build your brand or boost your sales, you will have to do it properly one way or another. And I think what we are trying to do is just to take the pain and the hassle and the cost out of the process. So you walk in, in an hour, you can really create all the content you need for the rest of the month. So that, that's that's for me, that's, that's where we are scratching our niche. We want to walk somewhere, in somewhere, in a studio, all set up, professionally done, professionally post-edited. I'll spend an hour in the studio that I get the content I need for a month. And that's really the premise. So if you're interested, if you want to check this out, so the studio is in central Berlin and hopefully many more to follow. But if you want to have a look, the, the, the company is called, that we've created is HeyViz. That's H-E-Y-V-I-Z.com. So if you go to HeyViz.com, you can book a slot for the studio. You can ask us questions. You can find out more about this. Um, but if you're thinking or wanting to do video content, I think it's a good starting point. I think we all know we have to do, do more video content. I know I do. You know, we do great podcasts, I believe. I'm writing books. We're doing written content. But video is another dimension. And I'm not doing enough video because it's such a hassle to get right if you don't have the right setup, the physical controlled space. Exactly. That's, that's, that's where we come in. So check it out, hangies.com. But enough of the shameless plug now, Piotr, it's been great chatting to you. Thank you for being here. Uh, super interesting. I didn't know you met the Dalai Lama and Richard Branson. And, uh, you know, the Dalai Lama made you relax. I love that. That's a great quote. So that's my main <laughs> takeaway today. Even the most stressed out reporter, knowing this is the interview of a lifetime, will be relaxed in the presence of the Dalai Lama. Just go. Yes, yes, it's completely true. It really, I can't say I, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying it was life, life changing, but it was, it was amazing. It was just an amazing experience. I, I, I can only imagine. Fantastic. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, next week we are back. We have a fantastic guest, Michael Wex from Forto. It's a Berlin-based unicorn. Um, so many interesting things we talked about. So I hope you watch out for that. Thank you everyone for listening. Cheers, Piotr. See you soon. See you. Thank you so much for having me.